Thank you for listening to The Leader. We bring news, analysis, commentary and interviews from the Evening Standards newsroom every day at 4pm. You can subscribe to your podcast provider to make sure you don't miss an episode. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. The UK's battle plan against coronavirus has been revealed. The potential is there for this to be something that uh, our country has to, to get through. But I've got absolutely no doubt that we have the, uh, the resources, we've got the, the health service, uh, we've got the expertise to do it. Will it work? The Evening Standard's political editor, Joe Murphy, has seen the strategy and talks to the leader podcast. Also, the older lithium batteries were delivering power unevenly throughout the devices. So this was why um, some people were experiencing their phone would just shut down when it was about 40 percent. Apple's to pay out up to five hundred million dollars after admitting it intentionally slowed older iPhones. Our technology journalist Amelia Heathman explains why. And it is, after all, a musical about prostitution, which is not really... Well, it's not, not a common subject for that kind of uh, art form. Pretty woman strutting onto the London stage and the Evening Standards critic Nick Curtis has given it four stars. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, how the UK will battle coronavirus. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. Today we've published the Coronavirus Action Plan, setting out how all four parts of the UK will take all necessary and reasonable steps to prepare for and tackle this outbreak. And the plan has four strands. Faced with the biggest public health emergency for a generation, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson addressed the nation to present himself as a leader with a plan. I fully understand public concern. Uh, Your concern about the global spread of the virus and it is highly likely that we will see a growing number of UK cases. Before he spoke, a 28-page document was released to journalists detailing the four-stage strategy, containment, delay, research, mitigation. I have no doubt at all that with the uh, scientific advice that we have, uh, with the levels of preparedness that we have, with our fantastic NHS, our ability uh, to test and to survey the spread of the disease that this country is going to uh, get through uh, coronavirus, no doubt at all, and and get through it in, in good shape. 
It's a battle plan to tackle coronavirus, not just on the threats against health, but also those against the economy, public services and society. The Evening Standard's editorial column says it paints a grim picture of what could be. The government's battle plan reports in a severe outbreak, one in five employees may be off work at any time. Pressure on public services would be extreme. The police would focus their efforts on serious crime and public disorder. Major public events would be suspended. The London Marathon might not take place. Football chiefs are preparing plans to play matches in empty grounds. Health experts suggest that in the worst-case scenario, between 60 to 80% of the population could become infected at some point in the course of the outbreak. Some other countries have, unfortunately, reached that point already. Here we are still getting ready. Public servants deserve all our support as they do that. Our political editor, Joe Murphy, was one of the journalists invited by Downing Street to get a look at the plan. Joe, this document reveals a worst-case scenario that would hit the UK hard. What they call the reasonable worst-case scenario, so it's not even the worst case, um, is pretty severe. I mean, we are looking, they say, potentially at a one-in-five off-work situation. That's six million people not turning up for work on any given day at the peak, which they think will be um, during the early part of this summer. doesn't mean they're all ill, of course. Some of those will be off as a precaution, um, and some of them will be off because they're, um, because they're looking after people. But that's going to be a big blow to the economy, without a doubt, and it's going to cause a lot of disruption in lots of parts of our lives. What kind of measures is the government looking at implementing here, then? You're looking at a huge array of measures across public policy, all sorts of government departments, and led, most of all, by people doing doing their duty, as the health secretary keeps putting it, which is principally, at this stage, just washing your hands. Things would then ratchet up into more serious measures if the disease gets worse, and no secret here, it will get worse. I think what came over at the briefings that I went to today at the launch of this battle plan was almost a resignation that this will actually be an epidemic at some point over the course of this year. And the real challenge is to make sure when it happens, we're ready and that it happens at the right moment. Do you think the government feels confident that it is ready, that the UK is ready, as they keep saying in all their messaging? Yes, they do seem ready. I mean, as we who follow sort of London government know, there are all sorts of plans tucked away on shelves, ready to be dusted down for dealing with such issues as um, excessive deaths. So, for example, you know, we've seen the plans for London to deal with a huge number of extra bodies, which involves some very grim reading and some very ghoulish um, detail, which we won't go into at the moment. Um, And this sort of thing is where... The civil service is well prepared. What's, what, what the preparation that we're seeing at the moment is actually preparing the country mentally for the disruption that we're going to see, for the tragedies that we are possibly going to see if this gets very bad. Um, and that's a sort of PR exercise combined with, with, with mental preparation and building up national resolve. Do they have an idea of when the peak might come? They do. And what's more, they have an idea of when they want it to come and they'll 
do their utmost to make sure that happens. So the ideal time is for the peak to happen in the summer, around June, and that's when they'll make sure it happens. So currently we're in a containment phase, which is probably, I would say, having listened to some of the advice, probably going to last another couple of weeks at most. And then we'll be into a delay phase where they'll be taking measures to delay the onset until after the current cold weather with its extra burden on the NHS so that things start to build up no earlier than May, June into a really high levels. And then they don't want it to be delayed too much because the risk then is that it goes on into the autumn or even worse that you suppress the virus so much that you get a second outbreak that could pop up in the winter to come. And better to delay until summer and then bite the bullet this summer and get it over with. Let it happen, manage it, mitigate it, direct resources then to the people who most need it, who are the vulnerable and the elderly, um, and for the rest of us to grit our teeth and get on with things. Next. Apple is, you know, the second biggest smartphone maker in the world after Samsung. There's lots of people that have those devices and people are very unhappy about the fact that that device may become obsolete in two years. Amelia Heathman on why Apple's paying out up to $500 million in total to some iPhone users. It was one of those very few tech rumours that in the end turned out to have some truth to it. Apple was intentionally slowing down older iPhones. The company admitted it. They said it was to help make the product last as long as possible. The inevitable lawsuit was filed in California. And now, three years after the company first said sorry, it settled the case and is preparing to pay out $500 million, although it's not admitting any wrongdoing. The Evening Standard's technology journalist Amelia Heathman's here to explain it all. Amelia, what's actually happened? This story goes way back to 2017 when Apple admitted that it had been pushing out software updates which slowed down older phones. So their reasoning for it is that the older lithium batteries were delivering power and evenly throughout the devices. So this was why um, some people were experiencing their phone would just shut down when it was about 40%. And that those you know automatic shutdowns can affect the circuits inside the phone. So Apple was pushing out updates to people with the iPhone 6, the 6S, the SE, and then the iPhone 7 as well, which would kind of stop these automatic shutdowns and preserve the inner workings of the device. But people were very unhappy about it because they were saying Apple is bricking my old phone so it stops working and then I have to fork out for a new £1,000 phone. And there was a court case, wasn't there, in the States? Yeah, so on Friday, Apple offered a settlement to people who had these devices by saying that they would offer out $500 million, which works out to about £391 million to people that had been affected by this. They said they haven't admitted any wrongdoing um, and so people who have who are named as claimants in the suit, they'll get about $3,000 if it is approved. And then if you had this phone and you had specific updates, which included the iOS 10.21 or the iOS 11 um, around December the 21st, 2017, which is, of, which is around the time that the lawsuit was filed, then that means that you could potentially claim some money back from Apple. How much money could you claim back? So if you're a cla- if you're not a claimant and you can put through a claim afterwards, you'll get maybe around twenty five dollars. But and this is only for U.S. people. This is won't be for U.K. listeners, unfortunately. But the idea is that 
obviously if a lot of people claim that $25 will go right down. But if you have one of those phones anyway, Apple was running a scheme, so it was cheaper to replace the battery on your phone as a result of these kind of updates and things. So you're not going to be able to buy a new iPhone with with, uh, the money that you might be able to claim from Apple. But I think what it shows is if they've got up to $500 million available and claimants can expect somewhere around $25 million. That's a lot of people who've been affected by this, isn't it? Well, I guess that's the thing. Like Apple is you know, the second biggest smartphone maker in the world after Samsung. There's lots of people that have those devices, and you know, they are expensive. You know, The most recent iPhone could have cost you like nearly £1,500, and people are very unhappy about the fact that that device may become obsolete in two years minimum. And you can read more of that story on the Evening Standards website at standard.co.uk now. It's the latest movie to become a West End musical. Pretty Woman, fresh out of Broadway and now at London's Piccadilly Theatre. But is it, to use a line from the movie, better than Pirates of Penzance? Well, it's divided the critics, but the Evening Standard's Nick Curtis has given it four stars, and he's with me now. Nick, this movie came out in 1990. Is this just a big nostalgia fest, or is it something new? I don't think anybody anticipated that Pretty Woman would be a success. It is, after all, a musical about prostitution, which is not really... Well, it's not not a common subject for that kind of uh, art form. Um, But I was really pleasantly surprised by it, by how sort of bouncy and exuberant it was, how the the, uh, main character of Vivian, the pretty woman of the title, is given much more agency. um, And I think it works. I think it's quite a delight. Is it one of those ones that just sweeps you up if you let it and then just washes right over you? Yeah, I think they've uh, they've very cleverly sort of updated the tone of it. It's sort of they've done it as if it's sort of a dream of the of what the 1980s might have been like in LA, including a soundtrack by Brian Adams, which is not the most experimental or thrilling thing you'll ever hear, but it does catch you up and he does know how to write a good tune. When I was a kid, Nick, and this is entirely true, I wrote a review of Pretty Woman for my school magazine, and my headmaster went ballistic that a 14-year-old boy had seen a 15 movie about prostitution. Have they changed it at all to adapt things to the the Me Too movement and and, and how society is today? Not over much, although I think, as we've said, it's it's made clear that this is not some fantasy, the the idea of a woman working the street is is not some sort of jokey fantasy um and it's made fairly clear that the the character played by Danny Mac who's played by Richard Gere in the film is an emotionally strange man a somewhat emotionally neutered man who just devotes himself to work doesn't really understand emotion doesn't really know how to relate to women and she sort of teaches him how to relate to women she teaches him the value of things rather than the price of things how do the cast step into what are genuinely iconic roles. This is the role that, that created a movie career for Julia Roberts. It's the defining role, really, for, for Richard Gere. Mm. How do you step into those shoes? Well, I think very cleverly, again, the um, the producers don't really try and um, replace Richard Gere. They sort of let Danny Mac just stand around and let Amy Atkinson do her stuff, because she is rather wonderful. You sort of think of Julia Roberts for the first ten minutes and then you forget her, uh, partly because uh, Atkinson is dressed exactly like Roberts is in the film, or all the outfits that you remember from the poster or from uh, excerpts from it are here and present and correct. But she really does make the, the role very much her own. She's very, um, she's a, got an extraordinary singing voice, 
she's very funny, very sort of attractive in her exuberance. Uh, you really root for her right from the start, and when she's upset, you, you really feel for her. I always want to feel this way. I saw in the trailer, so no spoilers, there are some of those key moments from the movie, that bit where Julia Roberts goes to get, I think it's a necklace out of the box, and Richard Gere slams it closed. That's all that, recreated. That's all recreated, it? and the um, the snooty assistants who won't let her shop are also present and correct. And that's The Leader. You can subscribe through your podcast provider and get in touch with the hashtag The Leader Podcast. We're back tomorrow at 4pm. Oh,